Welcome to this special edition of the WAN Manager Podcast. So we did our first uh, little season here kind of to replace the, the hole in our lives left um, from not being able to have these kinds of conversations at conferences with a few episodes to try it out. We liked it. So we're going to keep going. We're going to have a season two coming out in January of 2021. But before we did that, we wanted to kind of key up season two with an end of the year recap. That's always fun. This time of year, everyone's thinking about what happened. And my goodness, 2020 is an interesting year uh, all around um, to do a sort of recap for. So to do that, I have uh, my right-hand colleague, Elizabeth Thorne, joining me today. Welcome, Lizzie. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's great to finally be on here. I've been a... um avid listener of all the podcasts that have come out so far. So I'm really happy to be able to uh, join you for this look back on the year that has been. That's right. And um, I never told you that you had to listen. So there you go. (laughs) So uh, Lizzie, just real quick, um, I'm sure a lot of the people listening have met you at uh, a conference or WAN Summit or the like, but just um, why don't you tell us what you do at Telegeography? Yeah, of course. So here at Telegeography, I'm a research analyst focused on enterprise networks, um, which has been a newer area of expertise for Telegeography, something that kind of got carved out when uh, we realized looking at the wholesale market that, you know, the enterprise networks was becoming a very interesting and dynamic place to look at. And uh, so that's basically what I do. Um, Previously, I did a lot of work helping to organize uh, the WAN summits, which Perhaps some of the people listening to the podcast have attended and met us there. That's it's a good place to announce. Sorry to interrupt, but that's a good place to sort of officially say we will no longer be involved in the organization and sort of the the back office part of the WAN Summit. We're passing that all over to the very capable, wonderful folks at Capacity, but we'll still certainly be participating in an active way um, and and seeing many of uh, many of the folks who listen to this podcast certainly have been to a WAN Summit. So we will we will be there, just not in a quite as active role as Telegraphy has been in the past. Yes, absolutely. And in addition, I've uh, helped with the WAN Manager Survey, which we'll probably talk a little bit about today uh, in terms of going through some of our preliminary results for that, where we survey and interview WAN managers across various industries about what they're doing with their networks and how they're approaching various uh, topics in network management. And also more things that are you know, still being developed, but that we'll probably be announcing soon. Ooh, exciting. That's, that's <laughs> a, a great way there. to sort of... Um... Yeah, absolutely. Well done. All right. So Lizzie, uh, to jump right in, um, I think that if anyone is doing any 2020 recaps, um, especially in the network world, but really anywhere else, the the 800 pound gorilla is going to be uh, distributed or remote work, um, the impact of, of the shutdown. Um, so I thought that would, should be the first place, uh, that we talk. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was just, just the lack of conferences. So since we just mentioned the WAN summit, um, how do you think that has sort of impacted doing your research, the WAN manager survey you and I work on, uh, uh, together and you do a lot of those interviews and all that. How, how has, uh, has that gone this year, given that we have not been able to meet with anyone? All tw- we, we canceled the WAN Summit. Uh, New York uh, uh, sort of was supposed to happen right in the, the first week of outbreak in uh, in March yes, in New York City. So we've had no events this entire year. We haven't been to a WAN Summit since um, what uh, I haven't anyway, since uh, October of, of last year, London. You, you yeah, went to Singapore. Yeah, Singapore yeah. Uh, in November. Mm-hmm. It's definitely been a really big yeah. change for us, um, not only just on our enterprise side, but, you know, a lot of our business it and our research, it comes from talking with people and having conversations because, you know, we really are a pretty small industry when it comes down to when you think about, you know, how many people are out there working in corporate networking. And a lot of the strides we've been able to make in, you know, better understanding what's going on in that market and what uh, WAN managers are doing and what they care about comes from being able to bring people together in one place to talk about it. So it was definitely um, a very unique challenge to deal with. And also we were able to 
make our first forays into the wonderful world of virtual events. Uh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> which I mean, you know, has been a steep learning curve for everyone. As I as I keyed it up is kind of the the original impetus behind this podcast. Though I mm-hmm. I think it's fun, so we'll probably keep going with it after we return to events. But yeah, I think um, we, everyone had to sort of throw uh, what they could against the wall and, and see what stuck. Now we did we did uh, with capacity have uh, the next gen SD WAN event that happened um, uh, mid November. Mm-hmm. I felt like we we hit a decent stride there with uh, getting people into round table rooms and stuff like that. I learned some stuff anyway. So oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, did you did you have the same? We weren't in the same uh, sessions, so did you have the same experience? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, so backing up a little bit. So we had our Global WAN Week event in August, which uh, definitely was more trying to replicate the feel of a real event in terms of timing and having it over multiple days. And there were actually still a lot of really interesting conversations and topics that came out of that, especially um, we had we heard some really interesting stuff about NextGen SD-WAN, which ended up kind of inspiring this event that right. we did mm-hmm. um, recently. But you're right. Um, I think that the way that we scheduled it and arranged everything there where it was a lot more focused and there was a lot more emphasis put on the roundtables that we did uh, ended up being a really good conduit to conversations. Um, I ended up being in the room for a really spirited discussion about zero trust networking and remote access solutions, um, which was definitely informed by everything that's gone on this year and some, you know, kind of decisions of necessity that people needed to make. Um, But I think that that has been a good but not perfect stand-in for the sorts of Mm -hmm. Mm in-person conversations that we have. But uh, with things changing so rapidly, you know, everybody having gone through some pretty big shifts in what they had to do, it's more important than ever for us to be having those sorts of conversations. So I thought it ended up being a pretty worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm definitely in the camp that, um, well, well, we'll talk later about sort of the long term impact of, of remote work and whatnot. But I'm in the camp that um, that you cannot replace physical events. There's there's too many random interactions that happen IRL, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think um, we, we have sort of landed on on some decent proxies to get through to that point, which hopefully there will be events again maybe um end a quarter two next year we'll see fingers crossed so yeah so i also wanted to talk obviously about the impact of covid on the wan itself Mm -hmm. uh we designed a survey for that shortly after everything happened but then kept things going throughout the year and and that's interesting in in the sense that we we got responses to some of this stuff over the period of many months, um, when we were writing that survey in, in March or whatever it was, I reckon many of us had no clue. I certainly didn't that that we would still be in this situation in December necessarily, right? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, and you did a couple of blog posts or maybe they're forthcoming. I'm not sure when uh, when Jane, thank you, Jane, for editing this. We'll have this done. But uh, a couple of blog posts on on what we found asking people about the impact of, of COVID on the WAN. Um, so I thought maybe you could tell us about that. Let's start with just, um, you know, w- within the, the folks that responded to our survey over the course of uh, a few a couple few months in, in 2020, um, were most of them dealing with a lot of remote work? What was kind of the balance there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so this was a survey that we put out in kind of conjunction with our annual WAN manager survey. Uh, when we wrote the WAN manager survey, it was it came out basically right before we realized that this was going to be a very I pressing mean, issue. So we... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so we quickly created this kind of addendum to it and have been getting a lot of really interesting responses to it, which we're now starting to analyze. So, right, to get started with that, um, we did hear that the majority of people we uh, surveyed did have their workforces go almost completely remote. 85% of responding companies had the majority of their workforce working remote. And then within that, uh, the most common configuration was having approximately 80% of workers remote with 20% at job sites. And that 20% could be a lot of different things depending on the industry that uh, that company might be in. You know, if it's a 
more of an industrial company, those might be workers on the factory floor, or if it's more of a white collar job, perhaps those are people working, you know, in your on-prem data center who need to be able to go in and, you know, actually work with the machines that are there. Um, but right. definitely we saw that this was a pretty across the board shift that many people were dealing with. And it's really interesting, actually, when you consider the fact that, you know, prior to this, even companies that probably could have shifted more of their workforce remote were pretty reticent to. Um, there was mm -hmm. a, uh, a statistic that I found while I was writing those, that most recent blog post that only um, only something like 3% of the workforce was full-time remote before uh, the pandemic. Uh, yeah, 3.6. Right. So that's about 5 million people. So obviously uh, there has been a pretty massive shift to remote work compared to where we were before all of this. Yeah, and it's also interesting. Uh, I mean, we had we had a few respondents, as I recall. It's, I mean, pretty small number, maybe ten percent. You can correct me, but uh, that that were one hundred percent remote. Mm -hmm. Even if that doesn't stay, it's it's important to point out that that it is uh, a certain segment of of the um, workers out there. I, I just read this McKinsey report that um, that I should have pulled up, but I don't. But uh, I think it was something like they expect one in five workers to be able to do a significant amount of remote work going forward. And that's that's three to five days, you know. Mm -hmm. So so it's, it's important to point out that it is still a minority of workers. Um, uh, and But that's going to be really variable by vertical or industry or whatever, um, because if you have, say, you know, an accounting firm or a law firm or um, something that's almost engineering, say, that's all almost entirely knowledge workers, um, it's going to be very different than something like retail, where only their back office employees have ever been able to work from home, right? So um, just in thinking about how that looks um, going forward, I think we're going to see really wildly different uh, problems emerge uh, or or challenges, whatever you want to call it, for 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 different verticals in a way that wasn't there before. You know what I mean? Because before virtually everyone, you said three and a half percent, so like you know so, something like ninety five plus percent of of people were getting onto the network from a a customer site or from a from a branch office or. Or I'm, I'm saying as customer <laughs> uh, from the telegeography perspective, but getting onto the network from a, a corporate site, um, and that's going to be very different. One in one in five is a big change from from three percent, right? So, um, uh, and that's going to be very different again if if it's a knowledge worker company corporation versus one that that has a smaller portion of knowledge workers. Um, those with a lot of knowledge workers are maybe going to end up with really very different looking network strategies um, uh, than they had before, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think that that industry breakdown is going to be really key here because uh, there is going to be a divide between people who are in the knowledge economy, um, which is becoming an increasingly large part, at least of the U.S. economy, but also just generally um, <laughs> in developed countries and those who need to go in. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting. One of the topics we have kind of slated for this discussion is, you know, what is the future of the WAN? And I think that's going to be the biggest question, especially for uh, companies where their workers are becoming increasingly unmoored from uh, having to actually go into a physical office site and sit down. It's going to become more of a question of how do you just, how do you connect your employee to their workspace and their, you know, work, you know, environment, all this, all the tools that they need from anywhere in the world. So that'll be a really, that's yeah. definitely a thing to keep an eye on. What were the, the biggest changes that resulted, uh, uh from the transition from that sort of, um, uh, you wake up one day and all of a sudden 80% of your workforce is remote <laughs> when maybe only 3% of them were the day before. Mm -hmm. Um, that wasn't easy. We heard from a lot of different people in a lot of different um, sort of companies. Um, can you take us through some some of the things they told us? Absolutely. So I kind of like to think about this as a division between short-term impact and then long-term impact. So when we're looking mm -hmm. at the short-term impact, definitely the biggest changes, we kind of saw a rapid um, scramble to just get enough 
data center bandwidth because you suddenly have, you know, most of your access to your cloud or other, you know, serve, things that are served and stored in your servers coming not from your corporate sites, mm-hmm. but from various VPNs or, uh, you know, other internet gateways from perhaps hundreds or thousands of different users. And so in the immediate days and weeks um, following forced shutdowns and, you know, shift to work from home, uh, more than 50% of survey takers increased their data center bandwidth. Um, mm. And in our interviews, we were kind of able to dig into what that ended up looking like. You know, we heard from people who transitioned 60 to 80% of their workforce in literally one day, you know, just took their laptop yeah, time that's and what made, it from a made this so incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that you wouldn't anticipate um, you know, necessarily the changes that you needed to make because just no one ever even if you were ready, like many of the folks we talked to said, Oh, we've had people, we've had a significant chunk. Maybe it was more uh more like ten or twenty percent um than that three percent across, you know, all industries, but it's it's still nothing compared to eighty to a hundred percent, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, even then it's a uh... A lot of it was contingent on how much you had done, what your existing infrastructure already looked at. You know, some companies we talked to where they had, you know, very, very few remote workers. You know, they were mainly warehouses, you know, people working like mm-hmm. that. They literally did not have enough VPN licenses to go around. So you right. know, in their immediate days, it was like just trying to purchase and spin up enough VPN licenses from their vendor. Or devices for that yes, matter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like literally yeah. putting in new devices. We heard from another, uh, someone who worked at a financial institution where they went from having, you know, maybe 15,000 people a day who were, had a VPN license to, you know, 80,000. So they ended up having to purchase massive inter-DC bandwidth increases, but they were able to do it really rapidly. And I'll, I'll go more in depth of this maybe once we've covered all of these topics. But one thing that really stood out to me was just most people we talked to were able to make these transitions, though it was you know, unexpected and maybe a strain, they were able to keep that business continuity going, you know, people could get connected to the network, they were able to access what they needed to. And I think that's actually speaks to the strength of what had been built beforehand, especially when it comes to, you know, virtualization of things like firewalls and VPN and moving applications to the cloud so that people can actually access them uh, easier than if they had to, you know, get back onto the corporate network and access yeah. in that way. Yeah. So I've said this many times this year, but um, it bears repeating that um, that if this had happened just like five years before it did, just as an accident of history, we would have been uh, a lot less ready and able to work you know, the yeah. next day that, um, uh, you know, uh, moving data off of the corporate premises and, and having SD-WAN in place with with policies that can be pushed around the network um, down to even just the the uh, ability of local broadband um, networks to handle this. If you think about what uh, broadband is capable of doing now, the network um, in a residential neighborhood is used to dealing with uh people watching netflix Mm -hmm. doing uh you know video calls gaming all of these things like all at the same time so you have to engineer a a residential network um in in many respects it much more robust way than you do maybe like corporate um areas right like say an office park where it's not like in an office park, even if you have, you know, corporate users there doing video calls. So it's it's not the same as um, having to engineer a network where everyone from the hours of, say, you know, eight to 10 or whatever is is streaming uh, high definition video. Um, so I think that there's it's it's lucky just that that we had been in that place and that the carriers had been in that place before all of this um, uh, hit us at once. You know? For sure. Though there is the caveat to that, that, you know, the quality of your broadband is highly dependent on your location. You know, we can talk about how consumer broadband can be better than the office, but that's, um, you know, parts of the U.S. where they've got, you know, high Mm -hmm. quality fiber running into these areas or, you know, urban locations, parts of Europe and uh, East Asia. But in other areas where WAN managers might be, you know, looking at their employees if they're in 
you know, Latin America, Africa, or even parts of the rural United States, uh, those broadband options might not be mm-hmm. so robust. Yeah, you know, I, I recall one interview we did where, um, it, it actually more than one, where they said, oh, it's surprising how well our um, uh, employees' broadband connections work. They have more capacity available. I remember um, Global Internet made this comment at Global WAN Week. He was like, I'm in relatively rural UK and I have 900 megs at my house, which is more than we had in the office, you know. So, so I mean, that that is true. But at the same time, of course, you have kids at home uh, doing online school, you know, partners also working from home. And so, I'm, you know, th- there were certainly some bottlenecks there um, that that are vexing for the WAN manager because it's completely beyond their reach, right? So, I mean, that's, um, yeah, that probably compounds the frustration there. It's not the same as when yeah. you might have connectivity issues at a site, but you can call up your carrier, you know, get your SLA in, enforced, and um, there seems to be some sort of resolution there. In this case, the methods for dealing with, you know, any connectivity issues that employees were having were generally more roundabout, um, though we did hear people's various strategies, you know. We heard from uh, people who talked about employee education, uh, making sure that their employees understood how to like reset their router and like deal with their connectivity issues, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and even you know encourage them maybe to get their broadband up upgraded if they hadn't in a while. Right. I actually ended up having to do that because mm-hmm. you know, me too, we had I did major as well. Connectivity yeah. issues, and then we just upgraded to like a one gig plan. So now I'm able to actually do things and get on video calls without dropping out. Yeah. And, and having us back up, like I I have an all you can eat LTE plan. Mm -hmm. So I, I, and I, and I now know how to switch my Wi-Fi to that plan, but that's an, I, we, we heard one uh, way manager mentioned, like you had to educate the employees on like, if you were going to use LTE, this is how you do it on your laptop, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, or or schedule your meetings for for these times that aren't peak traffic and that sort of thing. Right. And so we definitely heard about all those things. But in addition, we also heard about some kind of interesting initiatives that some companies had been taking to more directly improve their employees' broadband plans, um, which was really interesting. You mm-hmm. know, we asked about you know if people had heard if their company was maybe thinking about paying for you know, sourcing and paying for their employees' uh, broadband to get like a business broadband connection or an improved one. And a surprising amount of people seem to think that their company would be open to it. We even heard from one person who said that their company was already doing that, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah I was surprised. I, we threw that question in. I thought everyone would say, heck no. You know? But <laughs> I mean, it makes it makes sense from the standpoint of like, if people are business critical and they need to be online and and now all of a sudden a a majority or or even you know almost all of them are connecting through these residential connections the WAN manager can do literally nothing about it mm-hmm. other than try to take them through some of these steps um unless the the WAN team is actually the one sourcing that so i i think we may see a change in that direction it's not it's, you know it's not going to be uh every company and in, in every situation but i think i think that that may emerge no i mean it's 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 really interesting actually i mean kind of taking a broader view of it it if you have more people who are working from home full time it kind of brings into the question of you know what is a business expense right i mean you already have right. companies exactly. who are you know sending their employees home with a laptop monitor, you know, keyboard and things like that. But if the company is saving money by not having to pay for the, you know, heating, lighting, power and internet for an office, those costs are all being off. Those costs are all all being, you know, put on the employees. So it's kind of interesting to see if that way of thinking might start to shift. It's it's kind of like uh, doing your own checkout at the grocery store, right? It's like <laughs> I'm I'm laboring for the uh, for the corporate grocery now, right? So it's you know there's there's the sense in which obviously working from home, uh, oh, there's my my dog too, all right, but that's all right. Hi, honey bun. There's a sense in which working from home is obviously like preferable from the worker standpoint. Um, but then you're shifting some of your company's costs onto you. You have to buy your own desk, maybe your own external monitor, mm-hmm. um, pay for your your uh, you know broadband and all that sort of thing. So, but in the case of of the broadband, it it, it impacts you know like I said the business continuity. And I, I was really interested to see that that some 
folks think that they're going to move in that direction of sort of taking that over. And that uh, leads me to the next thing I want to talk about, actually, Lizzie, which is um, uh, I've been working on the market size forecast that we'll have coming out hopefully around the end of quarter one of 2021 or so. Um, and thinking a lot about um, just literally how many sites there will be in in the mm-hmm. network model that I created. We heard from folks on this topic. We kind of ad- asked that question in interviews, even if we didn't have an official survey question. Um, so what did they say about office space going forward um, and and sort of um, the, the long-term uh, move toward remote work? Right. So this is definitely transitioning more into what I would see as these long-term impacts of work from home. Uh, I think what we saw from our survey is there has been very little movement so far uh, in terms of turning down um, either your actual office connectivity, like we saw very few people who actually, you know, got out of any of their um, office connectivity plans, which makes sense because they're in the middle of contracts and also you know, no concrete plans uh, or, you know, not as many concrete plans immediately to start reducing office size. However, right, right. Yeah. Because it's um, everyone's kind of in a wait and see mode right now. It's not Mm -hmm. clear Mm -hmm. when exactly this is all going to clear up and when that happens, um, what the plan's going to be in terms of, you know, if everyone's going to be able to work from home full time or if it'll be sort of a half and half thing. But we are unless you're like right in the middle of that transition. So like I know we heard from from one uh, company who said uh, in in one one of their cities in the U.S., they they were already looking to move that office and they decided to downsize it, for example. Right. Because um, if you're if you are or other folks who maybe their their contract timing wasn't in a place where they're going to get penalties for turning down service, then then that's uh, that's the only place where we saw that. Whereas you're not going to like take penalties in the middle of a three-year contract just to, you know, drop your MPLS port size or something like that. Exactly. I think this is definitely a case where flexibility with work from home is more of a possibility. It's just going to be something that's taken into consideration as companies open new offices, they might look at and decide, you know, everyone in this office can flex work from home. So you don't need as many right. offices, people can hot desk, or um, you're also looking at, okay, like, what roles in this office or in this company can be done from home and which ones do still need physical locations. So for example, in you know financial services, you might want to have um, your call centers still be in person, but then, or, you know, your traders or something like that, but other people can be, you know, your analysts or something like that. They can all work from home or can be working from home three to five days a week. Um, and so then you'll, a portion for that, and you'll probably need lower bandwidth well, you know, the, the economists will always say, uh, if you're making a forecast, never give a specific number, or if you do, <laughs> don't give a specific date. So I did both of those things in our forecast, but I ba- I basically had office space um, in 2021 staying the same, right? You, you know, the conventional wisdom is that commercial real estate grows at about 3% a year. I had it flat for next year, a slight decrease the next year where everyone starts to figure this out, you know, mm-hmm. so they're saying, because I think over 2021, it's, it's, it's totally plausible that a lot of people will say, hey, you know, I have this, you know, even if I'm uh, the sort of median corporation, one in five of my workers can now work from home three to five days a week. Well, those are often the people who were in the expensive class A office space too. So um, I would love it if I had, uh, you know, 20 uh, spaces where I had 50 before and they, and they, you know, hot cube or whatever the case may be. So I think that's going to happen. Uh, it just depends on sort of what the scale of that is across all the different industries. Um, and then, as you say, it, you know, there's no doubt that that leads to either maybe a shift in service that might push the shift in service, which we'll get to that in a second, I think, or at least a decrease in bandwidth. Right. Absolutely. One last note on this, uh, just from something I saw in the news that I think is kind of interesting. One thing, another interesting kind of wrinkle in this whole real estate, you know, office space question is once you have, um, you know, a greater ability for people to work from home or work farther away from the office, you might start to see companies moving away from kind of the urban downtown centers. Like I saw that um, Goldman Sachs is considering moving their headquarters from Manhattan down to like Miami, basically. 
um, right. because mm-hmm. you know they, they have more people who would be able to just work from home. They could move or not move. And by doing that, they could save billion dollars yeah, in real estate. Yeah. <laughs> so there's massive cost yeah. savings to be achieved there if mm-hmm. companies uh, in the next, in basically the mid to long term are willing to consider it. Yeah. So then the the last thing that I wanted to to hit on on the COVID impact explicitly is just in terms of uh, the impact on actually rolling out service. So we've been asking people for many years, especially SD WAN, obviously, but you know some other technologies as well, when they were going to to have things rolled out. Uh, we talked to a lot of folks this year that um, that had intended to have SD WAN rolled out on a considerable portion of the network, but but couldn't achieve that thanks to the shutdown. Do you, do you have any sort of um, uh, quotes or whatnot on that? Yeah, uh, we definitely heard uh, across the board that there were a lot of delays in tech rollouts and they kind of came from both sides. Um, we heard one person who said that they, you know, they had rollouts planned for March, but actually because of shortages on the vendor side, like they didn't actually have the hardware because uh, if you remember back in March um, when every when uh, China was being basically blocked because it was kind of the epicenter mm-hmm. of everything going on, they physically could not get hardware shipped out of the country uh, and, you know, gone through customs. Right. And so they, uh, at the time when we did this interview, it was around March. And so they said they'd probably have to postpone till August, which seemed like a huge burden at the time, but now we're in yeah. December and we're still here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wonder how that actually ended up going. Yeah, we'll have to check back. Right. So we definitely heard from people who were facing shortages just on the vendor side, which prevented them from getting rollouts done. Um, but then, of course, also on the flip side, um, because offices were closed and quarantine was in place, you couldn't send technicians in to offices to rip and replace hardware and CPE to actually get these SD-WAN rollouts uh, underway, you know, to put in either your you know, proprietary SD-WAN box or your, your white box, like virtual UVCPE. And so that ended up being a major roadblock for some people. Uh, and then also kind of interestingly, we talked to some people where the whole experience, you know, was making them a little bit question if they wanted to do SD-WAN because maybe if they were going to go down this path of everyone being remote and, you know, everyone just accessing the network remotely, it kind of leads you to a different configuration of the network. Yeah, certainly. But, but I mean, to drive that point home, we, we there were some, it was a very small number, but there were some folks that we talked to that said they, they had some kind of... Um, uh, SD-WAN device uh, going home with a lot of their remote workers. Mm. Um, I think that's going to be really unusual because if, if you're looking at the cost of having a physical appliance at all of your offices and then all of a sudden that multiplied by the number of employees instead of offices, it, it would become uh, absolutely prohibitive. Now, of course, there's some software solutions, but even then, it's not like, uh, to my knowledge anyway, somebody can correct me who knows better, but that you there's there are... SD-WAN software solutions that you could download onto your like laptop, right? It's we're talking about things that go on x86 servers and whatnot. So, so that's a really good point, and and it kind of brings me into the next thing that I that I wanted to hit because, uh, as you well know, everybody asks us about this all the time. It's implicated in in the thing that I've been spending a lot of my time on, the market sizing report forecast. What is the future of MPLS? And some of this was just well underway, has nothing to do with the pandemic, but I think some of it is is maybe accelerated um, by the pandemic. But um, just, I don't know, take us through maybe some of the numbers. I don't know how far we are in analyzing the WAN manager survey Mm -hmm. data. I think a similar number of folks indicated that they had MPLS. I don't know that we have the final numbers on on how prominent MPLS is, but yes, I'm um, I'm crunching that right now. I will say that MPLS numbers haven't changed significantly in terms of um, mm-hmm. how many sites have an MPLS connection. One thing that seems right. to have changed, which is pretty interesting, is that uh, when we did this survey in 2018, uh, most people said that their backups for their MPLS was a passive or active MPLS port. And right. that seems to have now changed to being an uh, alternative Good. like a DIA or internet or LTE mm-hmm. as your secondary connection, most likely facilitated using uh, SD-WAN. 
That's really gratifying because I've had that scenario in my like pricing presentation for two years where I say, here's what it would look like if you got rid of your MPLS backups, right? So um, it's good to get confirmation that that was a, uh, a sensible thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think we were definitely hearing or we're definitely still seeing um, there are people who are rolling out SD-WAN who have not yet gotten rid of their MPLS um, and are instead, you know, sort of creating that hybrid network where they have DIA or broadband adding additional bandwidth and uh, serving the place as a backup in case the MPLS line goes down. And I think we'll, you know, continue to see that because it's a good, it's a good way to get, uh, and you've, you know, analyzed this pretty thoroughly through various uh, hypothetical networks, but uh, going with that model is a good way to get uh, a lot more bandwidth for about the same price or less. Um, so that's definitely something. Yeah, exactly. But again, it was it was fun to see some of these uh, quotes from from our interviews, and and uh, you did some of the interviews without me, so I hadn't really seen them until I reviewed it mm-hmm. for for this. But that you know, you had some folks saying, "Yeah, we we cut our MPLS connections down." but we kept them. Uh, others who said, you know, we went with a combination for now, but if the, if the, you know, let's say we have a triple uh, combination, you know, MPLS, DIA, broadband, if we see the DIA and broadband with the SD-WAN are doing okay, we'll eventually drop the MPLS, but we just couldn't do it until we, we proved that out. Again, you know, these are all sort of things that we had run through as possible SD-WAN enabled scenarios before. So it was really cool to hear folks say that they were going to do that now. Of course, COVID impacts all of this. And when when you're having everyone do what they need to do through SaaS, if you have a security posture like something like Zscaler where um, you don't need physical appliances mm-hmm. at, uh, at your um, uh, you know, work site, um, I, I think that that's going to accelerate uh, people leaving MPLS behind. I mean, it's got a sting to be paying, you know, an exorbitant amount of money, like 10K for MPLS site, MPLS connections to a site that no one's sitting Absolutely. at. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even in cheaper markets where your MPLS is, is only maybe a, a few hundred or a few thousand, it still adds up when you have hundreds of sites around the world. I, I just, I think that when in certain verticals, they see that things are working uh, the same, that, that o- over the past year, there, there's going to be a lot of, um, of analysis of what happened in 2020, right? And and especially those who have monitoring tools and that, again, those monitoring tools are going to end where where the um, they're getting onto the network in many cases or whatever. But I think when when you look at how applications performed and, and productivity levels just from that standpoint and see what that impact was, I'm, I'm just assuming here that it's, it's going to be that people kept being productive and, 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 and still were able to do what they, they do. But I think that's what we've, we've by and large heard from everybody. I think there's going to be a long, hard look at, um, at even to some extent DIA, maybe, you know, compared to broadband, because all of us at home, more or less, I, I don't know anyone that I can think of that has a DIA connection at home. It's unusual to find that offering in a residential area. Maybe some people live downtown can, but I, uh, you're looking at, uh, you know, consumer grade broadband, uh, maybe some people have business grade broadband, but um, that's a difference of contract more than functionality. It's still contended, that sort of thing. And if people are getting things done, I think a lot of WAN managers are going to take a hard look at that and say, hey, <laughs> I, why why am I paying uh, tens of millions of dollars um, uh, for this when I could be paying a lot less, certainly. so Exactly. Yeah. And definitely one of those things where there's already been a kind of declining curve, but this will just accelerate it, I think. You know, I just jumped into this, but uh, maybe we could talk more about the do you even need a WAN question. Mm-hmm. I was giving my opinion there, but we've asked people this question more or less. And uh, and I'm curious uh, to get your uh, sort of rendition of, of what uh, they said in those interviews. Well, it's funny because it's kind of a question that's still being asked in hushed tones right now. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, to be fair to ourselves, we do we are WAN analysts, right? So it's not like it's not like we want there to not be a WAN, although there's cer- certainly lots of things to talk about. Um, you know, that the, there is always going to be a WAN for some verticals. I think we we reminded ourselves to to keep it there, um, but also that that 
you know, maybe more a change in definitions of what they're still going to be WAN and IT infrastructure managers, but they might be dealing with a very different kind of set of problems, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I think it's just going to be yet another evolution in what the corporate network looks like for some companies. You know, it's gone from being uh, literally like private lines that you procure from the carrier that connect all of your networks in like a kind of hub and spoke model to then we had MPLS, which was this more mesh uh, and then SD-WAN, which, you know, is probably going to be the ideal model for a lot of people, even moving forward where you've got various connections still connecting your corporate sites and like tying in those remote users. But, uh, and the thing that's been really interesting and has kind of been illuminated by the um, COVID shutdowns is that there are some uh, companies, especially ones that are much more based in the internet, you know, software companies or, you know, tech companies Mm -hmm. where all of their resources are being held in the cloud or, you know, they don't really have a lot of, on-premises architecture that they need people connecting to and they don't have you know either retail-ish or factory sites where they you know need people there or they need to like they have like business critical applications uh, that need two or three MPLS lines to keep up at all times where there's a really interesting proposition here where you could just have uh, all of your users connecting through the internet, you know, being sorted through some sort of remote access solution such as Zscaler and um, being authenticated to access SaaS or infrastructure as a service uh, applications mm-hmm. uh, in the cloud. So this is something that we're kind of hearing people who are, you know, perhaps in more, some of these more like agile internet companies uh, are starting to think about But I think one thing that's kind of interesting about it is that this is already reality for many small businesses, uh, including, Mm -hmm. you know, ours, telegeography. We use cloud, basically cloud and internet for everything. But yeah, we've essentially never had a WAN, right? Like it's a reality for a lot of small companies that they just don't have a WAN. They just put everything in the cloud or on internet. Um, But with, you know, sort of zero trust security models and remote access solutions, uh, and this sort of like improved uh, the improved internet that a lot of people have at their home office or at their homes. Uh, this is a possibility that could expand to some mid-sized enterprises. Mm-hmm. It remains to be seen if this is actually something that could be viable for a true global enterprise. Because I think yeah. for me, the question but that's still not answered in this is what mm-hmm. do you do about your global backbone? Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I, I mean, on it, on its face, it's certainly plausible. So, like in the episode we had this season with with Lionel Marie from Schneider Electric, and he outlined sort of the the four pillars of 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 zero trust. I know we're skipping security more or less, but you know, just to throw that in there, that if you know, you know, who all of your device, what all of your devices that are connecting are, you know, all of your users, you know what applications each of those users uh, can have access to, and you treat every network as a potentially hostile entity, then that really works just on the internet. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's nothing there. And, and, and furthermore, having a, you know, a, as they call it, software defined perimeter where you don't have to have a physical perimeter, the, the sort of moat and castle model or um, the demilitarized zone of firewalls inside the, the data center, I mean, that there, everything about that, which again was underway before this happened, but everything about that was really primed to, to just allow everyone to do what they need to do on the internet, along with SaaS and, and, and that kind of thing. So I, I think there's a plausible argument to be made there. You're right that then there's that matter of like maybe bandwidth between, um, data centers, which, which we, we've asked about that. We're, we're still analyzing the way manager survey data. So we'll, we'll give you a better answer later, but I mean, there's, there's a, there is that out there there. I correct me if I'm wrong, but we had some folks say, yeah, we, we do have private lines in our WAN. Whereas, you know, before I think most enterprises really were relying almost entirely on MPLS, even, you know, to like say, connect to the data center, connect to the cloud operators, that sort of thing. But that, that's, I think the big but is that it's just like you say that it's for companies where, you know, most of what they're doing on the WAN now is 
these SaaS applications and 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 that sort of thing. I there there are other folks that we talk to that still have on premises data centers, for example, mm-hmm. right? That still are still are are still going to have some of their own you know homegrown applications and and things like that. I wonder if maybe we should we should think of it um, from some of our our top industries that that we have in our survey. So we get a lot of folks from business services. Um, it strikes me that business services in the global five thousand is a pretty broad category, but it strikes me that the the stuff that that you just said and I added on to really falls under. For them, pretty easily, right? Yeah. So business services like an accounting tend term or to be you don't need people exactly. to be in an office for that. Yeah, the staffing agencies, you know, whatever the case may be, or tech support. Like we get we get responses certainly from from the folks that are offering you know uh, IT outsourcing, all those kinds of things. But as I move down, our next biggest vertical is in industrials. Well, you know, that's a pretty obvious right. use case where. IoT devices are at a physical location, along with workers at those places um, interacting with the network, or, or you know, maybe even uh, f- you know, firms that have to do collaborative engineering between. Maybe the engineers can be at home, uh, um, but they have to you know have access um, into the 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 IoT or other devices at the factory that just really need to be on an intranet in order to do that. Even if, even if the engineers say VPNing in, um, you're, you're not going to be able to just treat that the same way that we treat UCC tools uh, like, you know, um, uh, or, you know, other SaaS kind of applications um, uh, that, that, in certain verticals are really all they need. You know, we, we also have retailers and wholesalers on there. And that's an obvious one in, in our sort of top five verticals that, um, that we have in our survey. It's hard to see retailers and wholesalers getting rid of the WAN ever. Right. So, yeah, though it is interesting. I think that it definitely depends on industry. It depends on the kind of format of the business itself because i think that one way one like one thing i'm really interested in looking at going forward and this is not necessarily a type of company that would be able to totally get rid of their win but definitely very much reduce it is the sort of um a company that's more franchise based um so Mm. where each franchisee kind of sources their own broadband for example and then maybe right they've already been doing that yeah. yeah so that's an interesting mm-hmm. case where a lot of these same tools can be used to drastically reduce the cost of the WAN uh, and follow a lot of those same principles. And maybe you have a very, very reduced corporate WAN that's just for your, you know, few corporate headquarters and, you know, for them to connect to the data center and perhaps send some data to the franchisees. But for the most part, the franchisees could just be on the internet, access things through SaaS and through the, you know, these same principles of zero trust that we're talking about. So I don't think it's necessarily just uh, restricted to, uh, as we were talking about these companies where it's, you know, business services or companies where they don't have anything on the ground. Uh, in terms of the full kind of structure of these WANs, I think there's still a lot of really interesting possibilities there. Yeah. And, you know, it made, made me think back on sort of what I just said to you and the retailers and wholesalers, for example, retail might actually be a pretty good use case of saying, hey, like, what do we need to do at a point of sa- uh, sale kind of place? It's like just process inventory at, at a centralized database that's in the cloud now through through a cloud provider even. Right. And and do credit card processing, which is outsourced anyway. Right. <laughs> um, and, and totally, totally able to be done over IPsec. So, yeah, it's definitely the possibility for a lot of disruption. I think maybe more so than than even someone, some folks in the industry have been thinking about. And um, you know that that makes me wonder if the message for for everybody on the vendor side listening to this isn't um, you know think through really robust internet options, right? Because <laughs> everyone's going to be able to um, source that. You know, that's what they're thinking about now is sourcing internet. How well does my traffic perform just on the basic internet and what's the difference between using just you know local isp 
versus tier one internet provider that has a has a really broad reach and 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 how does that affect whether I'm willing to kind of uh, leave behind all of the WAN technologies altogether? And of course, uh, we're we're thinking of this, you know, through the lens of of still having SD WAN, which is still a WAN. Mm-hmm. Uh, where there's there's kind of the, the possibility of the more radical step of not even having SD WAN. Uh, I think that's going to be really limited or bleeding edge at least for for quite some time. Though that's an interesting case. Um, I I still think that there is a place for SD WAN even in, in these sort of more radical models because if you still want that kind of load balancing, yeah, the load balancing and, you know, application optimization, all of that sort of thing. I think that can still have a place there. Uh, It's just really interesting to think about it when it's been separated from the, you know, install at each corporate site model that we traditionally think about. Absolutely. Well, um, this has been a lot of fun, Lizzie. I'm, (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm fascinated that we, uh, only got through like sort of um, half of the topics that I had uh, I had outlined. Who to, could have to foreseen hit. this? There's just there's a lot there's a lot to talk about. I mean, who doesn't love just listening to analysts talk to each other? <laughs> <laughs> I must confess that uh, that I I'm a religious listener to like the Five Thirty Eight podcast, for example. There so we were a bunch of analysts talking about what they saw in the data that week. So. There's some of us out there anyway, dozens of us. (laughs) You know, as long as the vibes are good, (laughs) hopefully we have good vibes. Oh, of course we do. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lizzie. And um, I'm sure that uh, you'll be back, even if as an analyst role um, in season two, since we have some new stuff coming out. And um, at the very least, uh, I know you'll come on and talk about the WAN Manager survey once. Um, we're done learning how to analyze all those data in Python. No, I will bend <laughs> we're transitioning from Excel to Python, and it's painful. I will bend Python to my will if it kills me. <laughs> me too. Although I think, um, as a as a young person with a still fully functional brain and no children, you're going faster than me. But I'll get there. You know, my my two brain cells they're rubbing together. It's, something's happening. <laughs> yes, beautiful. Awesome. Well, thanks, Lizzie, and um, happy end of 2020 to everybody out there. Yes. Happy end of 2020. Thanks very much for listening. The WAN Manager podcast is brought to you by Telegeography, a division of Primetrica Incorporated, and is edited and produced by Jane Miller. I wrote the theme song you're listening to right now, and we get administrative canine support from my dog, Honeybun, who you might hear chiming in from time to time when the mood strikes her. If you want to learn more about our data, head over to telegeography.com where you can find our blog that covers many of the topics we hit here and you can sign up for our WAN Manager newsletter. Until next time, have a great day.